With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Scooped up. This is going to be a Hawkeye touchdown. Right through. And the Hawkeyes have stunned the Wolverines. Michigan unbeaten no more. Piling on now is Iowa as they crack the 50 mark against the mighty Buckeyes. But when his number was called, seven got six. What's up and welcome to Spoko Radio presented by Blackheart Gold Pants, SB Nation's community for the Iowa Hawkeyes. I'm your host, DC. With me as always, it's Jerry Sherwin. Jerry, you had a Britney moment. How are you handling that? <laughs> I had a bad Monday where quarantine and work collided to make me go a little bit of batshit insane. And I cut not only my quarantine hair, but my quarantine beard. And now I look like I'm 12 years old again. That he does. With us also, it's the people's champ. David Johnson, champ, you just finished playing a round of golf. How are you doing? Oh, I feel great. Played a little nine holes, got out there, smacked it around, birdied a hole. It was a good, it was a good little time. And I didn't shave my beard. I still have my beautiful beard. I don't look like a 12-year-old like Jerome. So I'm feeling great. It's great, great to hear, champ. We Guys, all look sexual, though. That's all it is. I mean, you do look very good, even though you shaved. You still are a sexy man. <laughs> we are the most loving podcast. We are the most Iowa Hawkeye fan podcast, so make sure you guys are subscribing to it wherever you guys get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, at BHGP, at Shy People's Champ, at Jerry Sherwin, and at Dave Cray. Let's kick the show off with this, guys. We have a guest on later, Matt Brown, who is the publisher of the Extra Points newsletter. We asked him this question, so we're going to kick it around ourselves to start it off. If you had to make a name, image, and likeness Mount Rushmore of past college athletes so guys who would have made the most money if they could profit off of their name image likeness who would be on your mount rushmore jerry we'll start with you all right so first the first player on my mount rushmore i'm putting tim tebow on there and i don't know if tim tebow necessarily would have like made the money that like I don't know, as Zion Williamson would make, but I think there's some good Christian money that he would have made. He would have been like that guy at a car. He would have had a lot of car dealerships, you know, good, wholesome Florida son, go buy a GMC truck. Um, I think the second athlete I'm going to put on there, I'm going to put Kevin Durant for the one year that he was in Texas. Ooh. I just think that he was just, he, he was all absorbing that one year. I mean, the, the guy you could just see every game that he played that he was going to be spectacular. I think the Longhorns had a really good ride with him. I'm going to partner him up with a Texas Longhorn and Vince Young, especially after the national championship. I think he probably could have owned Austin, Texas if he wanted to. I mean, he was on top of the world after they won that championship. He was spectacular. I, I, there was nobody more that I rooted for to be good in the NFL that didn't pan out outside of Sean Green. And my fourth option, I'm going through this in my head still, I think – Carlos Boozer. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I do think Zion Williamson probably would have been the one this past year to probably make 
the most money in a one year span for a college athlete between the dunking, the, 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 the being on the number one type program, the, the recruits that he was able to come in with the level of social media. Exactly. Like there, his YouTube clips and his social media following were bigger probably in high school than they even were in college. And he got to bring all that with him. That would have been a no brainer. If LeBron went to college, would he have been on your Mount Rushmore? Yes. hundred percent for one year. I would honestly, I'd probably take LeBron James in high school if this was possible for high school. I, I was going to ask that during our pre-show if we could put LeBron on, even though he didn't <laughs> even go to college. That's how much he would have been on my Mount Rushmore. Oh. All right, Jamble, who's on your Mount Rushmore? So I will start. I also was go. I was going between two of Jerry's people and KD and Zion. I went with Zion, so I'll start with him. My other three are different than Jerome. I mean, I just think, just like Jerome said, the the clips of him dunking he's got that perfect smile everybody loved him he would be on he would be making tons of money even 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 though he was only in college for one year Zion Williamson for me is my first one uh, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with a female athlete for one of my people too I'm gonna go with Diana Taurasi I think she her personality and how great she was at UConn I believe she won three national championships in her four years it might actually be four it's for sure three I know that, and I know she was, you know, super, super talented on the court. She has a great mm-hmm. personality off the court. You know, you've seen that with her in the WNBA. She's immensely been, popular up there, yeah, too. Yeah, immensely popular. Everybody loved Diana Taurasi, so I put her on my list. I wanted to represent the females to have one of them in there, so Diana is that for me. Um, I also, my third person, I'm going to put Charles Woodson on my list. I think – he was absolutely dynamic at Michigan. Every time I would watch a Charles Wichon highlight and him doing the Heisman pose that year when he won the Heisman Trophy at the University of Michigan was absolutely incredible. I think he also, he's in media now, so you see he's very successful with that. I think he would be great back in that day as a face for a company or whatever it may be. I think Charles Wichon would have been great. My last guy to me, the most dynamic of the four, I think, is Peyton Manning. I put him on my list for sure. You've seen the numerous endorsements he's done. I don't know if he had that back then, though. I think he did. He always had that. He had that Archie, you know, passed down from Archie. That charisma. That charisma that that Archie gave him. Yeah, I mean, Eli, not so much. But Peyton had that definite charisma, and I think he had that back at Tennessee. Um, you, you've, we've all seen while he played even more now that he's retired. I mean, the, the commercials that he does, he's just dynamic. The charisma, like DC said, I think Peyton Manning would have been a definite for me on my Mount Rushmore. Champ, I like that list. There's not a lot of guys that immediately come to mind. So that's a good, and then we spurned this on this, right? Like literally five minutes ago. So that's quick thinking. I like the list a lot. Thank you. My list, I'm going a little bit of a different direction than you two went. These guys still probably are, are big college stars, but I'm finding a way that they're going to find a way to maximize the system if they're able to make, to make money off their name, image, and likeness. Number one on my list is Johnny Football. Matt Brown, uh, we alluded to him with Matt Brown. Johnny Football in the money sign and, and everything that he, the rise, I mean, he literally is known as Johnny Football. The amount of money he would have made off himself is right up there with the next guy, Cam Newton. Talk oh, about Cam, having yeah. charisma, but on top of the charisma, he has the recruiting side stories of being paid to go to certain schools. I think when you get family involved, it gets a little messy, and I think yeah. it 
he probably is on the Mount Rushmore, but you probably don't even know how much money he actually gets because it's probably a lot of it would be on the table. Going into the next family-filled drama, Derek Rose. The Ooh. guy who might not have gotten into Memphis on the, on the up and up. <laughs> probably Someone may have taken his SAT. I mean, we don't He know. had to go to school for a year, so he's probably finding ways to make a little bit of cash in that year at Memphis with John, with John Calipari around. Calipari probably has a dealership of his own to get Derek to go get that money. Oh, yeah. Exactly. And lastly, Reggie Bush. I'm surprised Reggie Bush didn't make it for either of you guys, to be honest dynamic playmaker, but he also obviously had the off the field stuff with giving back the Heisman trophy and, you know, being at the center of USC vacating national championships. I just feel like those guys, they have a lot of baggage in their, in their history that we know of. So if they're able to actually profit off their name, could have been uh, big paydays for those guys and their families. I mean, those are great calls. I People forget how absolutely electric Cam Newton was in college. He took that Auburn team that was coached by Gene Chizik, who was later fired a couple years after Cam was there. Took him to the national championship. Did they? They lost. They won. No, they beat Oregon in the national championship. He was absolutely dynamic. I watched a highlight of him the other day against Alabama when they were down twenty-four to nothing in that game, and he single-handedly brought them back in Alabama and beat their in-state rival. He was an absolute star. The whole Superman thing. I don't know if that started Smile. in college or if that started in the NFL, but he, I mean, the, the, he, he was, is a great call by DC. I didn't even think about Cam. We're going to get to our interview with Matt Brown here in a little bit, but the, these are the names that spurred, uh, spurred us after talking to Matt on this name, image, likeness stuff. It's a great interview. You guys will hear it in a little bit, but we do have some Iowa Hawkeyes news to break down a little bit before we get to that interview. Jordan Bohannon and Jack Nunge get their uh, waivers approved, their redshirt waivers approved. They are coming back for another year of eligibility for the Iowa Hawkeyes. Jack Nunge gets – potentially he'll have six years of the Iowa Hawkeyes, very similar to Just Settles. Uh, but the bigger news and the bone that we're going to throw to Jer to kick things off here is the Jordan Bohannon news. If you go back to when Jabo first bowed out after the Iowa State game to have a second hip surgery – Rumors were flying that J-Bo was going to do a, be a grant transfer after this year. This podcast probably also got into it with some, with some people based off of some second, third-hand information that we had. Jared, would you like to address the haters who uh, Jordan Bohannon's addressing the haters, saying that he's going to be back at Iowa City for another year? First of all, everybody is remembering correct, incorrectly. I had the scoop that said Jordan was going to hang it up and get hip surgery on the other hip after the Iowa State game, which came to be true. I was the first one on the internet to put that out there. First one, give credit to me. I also said that Jordan Bohannon was thinking about potentially going to another program. I said that based off what I heard from a friend of his directly. But I put it out there really ultimately as a reverse jinx, and it was the ultimate reverse jinx. Because now, folks, we have Jordan Bohannon riding with the future National Player of the Year. We have Jordan Bohannon not having to control the ball and take all the shots. We have the guy that we've all been pining for. This is a championship basketball team coming back. And if you're anything like what Matt Brown thinks, we might be watching a Big Ten championship football team and a Big Ten national title basketball team. So you're all welcome. I mean, Jerry is just the absolute master of the reverse jinx. He does it all the time, and it works. I mean, great job, Jerome. 
We all thought that J-Bo might be heading out, but the ultimate reverse jinx, he's coming back. They have got to be a top-five team next year going in. I mean, I don't know how you can logically look at the Iowa Hawkeyes when Luca Garza comes back, because we all know that's happening, to go with a Wieskamp, a J-Bo. Now Nunge is back. I mean, Nunge is probably not even going to start on this team. They're so deep. And he's going to be coming back as a senior, hopefully, you know, wanting to play big-time minutes for this team. They're going to be so stacked. It's going to be so beautiful to watch. This is going to be Fran McCaffrey's best team. They're going to be a preseason top-five team. I just We just have to hope and pray that this season gets played because it's going to be so awesome to watch. This is definitively a top-five, preseason top-five basketball team. The one thing that's concerning is just the defense. The defense has to figure out a way to stop somebody especially in big time play. But when you score 90 a game, you don't need to stop anybody. They're Unless just going to be like out. Champ. I mean, if you give up 100, then it's not very good like they did at Michigan this year when Luca scored twice. like 46 points and they lost by like 15. We were all together for that one. <laughs> yeah. Luca, first of all, the best thing for Iowa basketball right now is that Luca is just doing drills nonstop cuz he's got nothing but time to be doing drills. Him and I Frank just in the gym. He's going to be a defensive stopper on top of an offensive juggernaut, especially considering that the Big Ten just lost basically half of the centers that he had to go up against this past year. Absolutely. Oh, Joe Bo News is such great. And if you guys haven't seen the Instagram post, go on Instagram and look at Jabo's Instagram post because it's it's elite. It's him putting Iowa State in body bags again. He also tweeted at a dude earlier that was an Iowa State fan, basically saying that he effed his uh, mom. No, no, that guy was an Illinois fan. Oh, even better. Even Perfect. better. <laughs> oh, sorry. That's, that was a Fran McCaffrey thing. That was not Jerome Henning. Getting my haters mixed up, it probably was an Iowa State fan. It was, it was an Iowa State fan, and he told him that he effed his mom. So, I mean, I, how could you get any better than leaving your shoes signed on their court after you beat their ass? And then you just well, go to Twitter and just stick it right to them again. I tell you how, it's if he really did bang that guy's mom. Because <laughs> <that> whole point. <laughs> on that note, guys, I think it's time to throw it over to the uh, interview we did with Matt Brown. Matt Brown writes the Extra, point news, Extra Points newsletter. You guys can follow him at Matt Brown EP. Uh, and it's just, we get into the name, image, likeness stuff uh, that's been going around with the NCAA. We'll talk a little bit about the chances of college football coming back, when college football might start, starting on time, who's going to play, who's not going to play in terms of what states. Uh, really, really good interview. You guys are really going to like this. Uh, and uh, we'll throw it over there now. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, guys, we are now joined by Matt Brown. He is the publisher of the Extra Points newsletter, which you guys can subscribe to at mattbrown.substack.com. You can follow Matt on Twitter at, at MattBrownEP. And the Extra Point newsletter focuses on off the field part of football. Matt, how are you doing tonight? Hey, I, I'm doing great, fellas. Thanks so much for, ha- for having me. I know we're all kind of grading on a curve whenever any of us answer that question these days, but like I legitimately am. I'm doing pretty well tonight. 
Good. I'm glad to hear. Yeah, I think we all are. Uh, we're all trying to make the best of, of the current situation. Yeah. Uh, first, easy start off question. How often are you and the athletics map round mixed up on Twitter? Oh, it happens all of the time. And, and what's it's terrible is that we're close to the same age. We're both Big Ten grads and we both write about uh, the same kind of super nerdy college football stuff. Um, <laughs> I, I, I have met him in person a couple of times. And we, like last time I was at Big Ten Media Days, we'd, uh, we were sitting next to each other and we go introduce ourselves to people one after another just to kind of like fuck with them a little bit. Um, I've challenged him to change his name. Uh, it hasn't happened. And, uh, and if I had known that I was going to be like the third most famous Matt Brown on Twitter, I might have gone by something else once I got into this career. I think that's uh, your way of telling all of our fans that we do now need to ask the other Matt Brown to change his name. Did they, well, I mean, like, I literally did have it first. That's so, true. I, I mean, and I, I think I, – now, he has more Twitter followers than I do, but um, it, it, it's fortunate that he's a nice guy at least. It, it would suck to have the same name as somebody that you're, like, enemies with. Like, Matt's, Matt's a good dude. Right, like, he, he looks just like you but has a mustache, like one of those evil mustaches like in <laughs> back in the day. Yeah. Matt, Matt Brown, get a monocle challenge, 2020. <laughs> Add it to the Twitter bio right now. Well, Matt, DC mentioned the extra points um, endeavor that you've got going on, diving into all sorts of college football topics. Um, can you tell a little bit, our listeners right now, I knew, I know that they've probably been familiar with you from SB Nation before, but tell them a little bit about the new project. And as a follow-up, kind of curious if you've added any more college football reads to your quarantine book list. Yeah, sure. So I've been doing extra points now for a little over a year. Uh, I started it because this, this was launched a little bit before Banner Society was launched. And I wanted the chance to keep writing about college football. This is, you know, it's what I love. And uh, what I'm really most interested in are a lot of these stories that don't fit in really well with what a lot of college football beat writers are covering or what national writers are doing, because I'm fascinated in the intersection of college football and higher education finance or about politics or demographic changes or all of these other history, all of these off the field things that, you know, not everybody likes to think about, but I think are enormously important to determining who's good at college football and who's not. You know, if you're a fan of a Midwestern team, the fact that the uh, your population demographics have shifted over the last last 40 years and uh, to, uh, from the Midwest and the Great Lakes to the South matters immensely. You know, Chicago used to be one of – and Minneapolis used to be gigantic high school football um, – you know, prep centers. And now those places have been mostly replaced with Charlotte and with the, with Nashville and parts of Texas. And if you're in Iowa or a Minnesota or Wisconsin, you know, that, that's a big story. And these are the kind of things that I like to uh, like to write about here with extra points. And it, it's, it's uh, been a little bit serendipitous, I guess, that some of the major storylines right now are about the financial impact of what's happening here with COVID-19 or declining enrollment or what's happening with name, image, and likeness. And, these are things I've been covering for over a year. So it's a little bit easier for me to kind of delve into the nitty gritty than somebody who's had to write about other things and is parachuting in right now. So I'm, I'm definitely not bored, even though I am still technically unemployed. Well, just as a, f- a follow-up there, uh, have you found anything outside of weather being the reason why some of that, that mass transit down South kind of happened? I'm kind of curious on what you found. Oh, sure. I mean, a, a big part of it is just the declining of, um, American manufacturing. And so a lot of jobs that were headquartered outside of Chicago or headquartered in Cleveland and Akron and Youngstown, a lot of those companies moved, a lot of those places closed, and you just had a general population shift where 
there were more jobs in Sunbelt cities. The weather was better. Taxes were a little bit lower. Um, and you, you've had a kind of a reverse of the Great Migration where so many African-Americans left the South to go to the industrial Midwest. And now a lot of them are coming back. Um, so places like Ohio and Michigan and Indiana, you have declining birth rates. You have declining out-of-state immigration. And a lot of that has a negative impact on high school football. Um, you know, I, I grew up in Ohio. That's, uh, I, I live in Chicago now, but I, I spent most of my life uh, in Ohio, which historically has been a major place for really high quality high school football. But now if you're a high school football coach, you can quadruple your salary if you're coaching in Georgia or if you're coaching in Texas and even some places in Florida. Whereas in Ohio, you got to teach gym, you got to teach driver's ed and, and your district just you know, failed its levy. So now you don't have a paid assistant coach anymore. And that all leads to that talent exodus. And I think that's been part of what's been challenging for a lot of Big Ten teams. And then you got to be cold, too. Who, do, who wants to be cold in the Midwest? Then you got to be cold. And that sucks. I, I love living in Chicago. This is my favorite city in the world, man. But, but I'm a Brazilian, and we're not, we're not built for this shit. Like, it's, 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 it's definitely way too you're, cold. You're not a big fan of 38-degree May days in Chicago like we had earlier this week? No, absolute garbage. <laughs> My children are not either. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, nobody it's is. <laughs> not good. Yeah, but man, yeah, we we I love extra points. I think I started subscribing pretty quickly after you first launched it. But you, I, you literally go to guy when it, all this stuff has been popping up with COVID. How it's impacting? Because I I find all that stuff fast fascinating. The other thing that's coming up, I think last week was name, image, and likeness stuff. Um, I know the NCAA had some. A press conference, nothing really earth shattering was was shared during that. But really, on regards to name, name, image, and likeness, you have states passing their own individual bills and laws. Universities are hiring consulting companies to help their student athletes build brands. Why does it seem like the NCAA is super slow to be open to this? type of change that just seems to make logical sense? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. And part of it is, is just practical. The NCAA is huge. And it's, it's, you know, you've got over 300, just in Division One member institutions that are all very, very, very different. We have really huge big state flagships like, like Iowa and Ohio State that Thank have for enormous, that. <laughs> enormous athletic departments. You have tiny private schools. You have Ivy Leagues. And a lot of these schools don't trust each other. So it's, it's, it's basically like turning around a battleship to get them to do literally anything because a lot of their um, needs and desires aren't really aligned. You also have legal precedent. The NCAA is terrified of continuing to lose lawsuits, particularly antitrust lawsuits, where they are artificially capping the amount of um, uh, the, the payment that an athlete can get. And they've lost several of those cases. And so there is some concern that if you try at this point, when you've lost some leverage to, to strike a deal, um, that, you're, that you're opening yourself up for additional lawsuits. You know, that's part of why in that last press conference, um, the NCAA's report said that they need to ask Congress for an antitrust exemption, which basically says you can't keep suing us for this because we're going to want to limit the amount of money that an athlete can make from name, image, and likeness. I think if they had if they had acted sooner and done this, say, five or six years ago, everybody would have agreed on a more restrictive environment and you wouldn't have had to get politicians involved and you wouldn't have gotten some of these these lawyers involved. But they didn't. The NCAA has been reactive about most things for the last 80 years. And now now they're in a real pickle because they, they've lost control of this situation. What, what, what they want to have happen um, 
depends on the NCAA getting lawyers and getting politicians at the state and federal government to agree with them. And right now, they're a very easy political punching bag, and they've lost that leverage. So because of those antitrust lawsuits and stuff, do you, is there like a part of the NCAA that kind of wants this to happen? Or are they still kind of just pushing away and, and fighting this you know, tooth and nail? I think it's, it, there's a generational divide. When I talk to athletic directors, I think, who are under 50, whether they're at big schools or small schools, the feedback I've, I've gotten has been generally, this is the right thing to do. Let's figure out a way to do it uh, in the most liberalized way possible that we can get everybody to agree to. But when you talk to guys like Barry Alvarez and Gene Smith, um, <laughs> who have been doing this for 30, 40 years, and they can't really imagine a situation that's different, um, I think that, that old guard has been holding to the line a little bit more. And it's interesting, even in the you know, 10 days since that, that NCAA press conference, you're already seeing athletic directors from some Power 5 schools push back and say, like, we're still not aligned. You had somebody at Pitt just say, I'm not really comfortable with allowing athletes to monetize their likeness for signing autographs, which seems super benign. Like, if, if you're not going to agree to do that, then, like, what the hell was the point of any of this? You have others that, that want to go much farther. It's just – it's very difficult to get everybody to agree. And I think that's a big reason why, you know, Gene Smith and, and uh, Drake at Ohio State and some of these other senior leaders are saying, we want Congress to do this for us because we can't agree to it. And Congress might, but I don't think you're, they're, you're gonna, the NCAA is going to like what Congress does. Do you think that's what's going to have to happen? Congress is just going to have to step in and just say, hey, this is what it's going to be. Like it or not, this is our order. You guys obviously can't get it done, so we're going to have to do it for you. Do you think that is eventually what's going to happen? I, I think that's probably what's going to happen, and that's what most of the stakeholders want right now. Well, that's, oh, I'm sorry? Will that be like a state-by-state state thing then, where some states you could maybe potentially earn more, have different like stipulations on what you can actually get? So this is what every athletic director I've talked to and what most of them on the record are saying, they're terrified of that. Nobody within the NCAA wants a state-by-state -state system. Now, you could do it, right? Like, it, companies operate nationally, and different states have different um, minimum wages. They have different rules about paid time off, and, and, and people are able to figure it out. But if you had a federal rule, then that would say, okay, this supersedes whatever Colorado and Florida and California and everybody else has done. This is the rule. And the NCAA would like that. And honestly, some state-level politicians would like that, too. They want to have states pass laws to, to put pressure to force a more liberalized market. Um, and it's going to depend on what Congress people figure out. And this is, this is fascinating because unlike almost every other political issue right now, there's really bipartisan agreement that the current system is screwed up. You have really conservative senators, Tea Party members of Congress, and some of the most liberal senators. Everyone's taken a, a whack at the at the NCAA, and that should be terrifying for their lobbying efforts, because um, you know that means they really don't have very much leverage. So if let's, because I mean there are some universities who are super welcoming of this of this change. I mean, like Nebraska's, I think Tennessee has they've hired outside companies to come help consult their student athletes on how to build a brand. If there was a like a, a backing of these types of universities to the NCAA, conference commissioners, the older ADs at other schools, couldn't they just kind of figure it out without like at least educate the, the old guard on how this works? I mean, it seems like a lot of the ways that of these guys envision 
player student athletes making money is through so, their social media followings. Yeah. Isn't there a way to kind of educate them on that process and, and get them more comfortable with some type of, of system that doesn't require the government to use up their resources for this? That would be preferable. Um, but I think even among that group, and I know West Virginia is one is a school that's doing that. Miami, Ohio announced that today. I'm not even sure just those four agree on everything. I think there's a broad agreement. Yes, athletes should be able to monetize their likeness. I think almost unanimously, yes, athletes should be able to monetize their social media accounts. But when you hear schools talk about guardrails, what those guardrails mean and what they are, that's something that nobody really seems to agree agree on. I, I think there's a lot of people and even some media members that are terrified of the idea that this will be used as, a re, as an incentive for recruiting. And I'm going to guess that all of us here know that uh, that kind of happens already. <laughs> yeah. Wait, no, wait, 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 what? I know. There's gambling in this establishment. Can you believe it? Like you can't. You, you mean Nick Saban pays his players? That's a thing? <laughs> no. Erroneous. No. I, I listen. I don't want to. I, I don't. I don't have uh, libel insurance right now, so I'm not saying that. Um, I'm saying that, that was the other Matt Brown. That was, yeah. <laughs> no. What I am saying is, uh, some universities definitely recruit to win, and we can insinuate what you want from that. Um, so, like, I think that's going to happen whether this is above board or, or below board. But there are athletic directors who are terrified of that, and so some say we want to restrict earnings at a certain amount. Some say we want the, the schools themselves to be able to make sure that that uh, um, nobody's getting a gigantic deal that should be that should exceed what what, what they're worth. And uh, individual players would say the free market should determine what I'm worth. Mm -hmm. And if you try to artificially cap that, I'm going to sue. And that's what they're terrified of because because they would lose. Um, and if, you know, if, if a school is able to sit there and cap what you're able to make, you really haven't made that much progress to begin with. So that's, that's, that's the big argument in a perfect world. Yes. They would have figured this out without involving Congress. They would have figured this out without 36 different States needing to, to pass laws, especially right now with the world on fire, but you don't <laughs> live in a perfect world. This is true. Going back to this recruiting thing, because I find that interesting because I, like you said, there's a lot of cheating going on in in recruiting that's that's unspoken, but to me something like this in play, I think helps. And I mean, you write about a lot of smaller schools, so you probably have better insight this than I do. But from my assumption would be that this helps smaller schools get players and student athletes that they might not normally get because it gives them a platform, if this were to be passed, to to earn more than if they were riding the bench at an, at another or a blue blood program. I actually think that's probably true. So, you know, a common complaint that you hear about liberalizing name, image, and likeness is from people saying the rich are just going to get richer. Well, if we're talking about recruiting, guys, we have a 25-person scholarship cap for football. Ohio State and Alabama and Clemson, they almost literally can't get any richer because if they're signing 25 kids, 21 of them are going to be four-star or four- or five-star guys, and you realistically can't sign 25 blue chip kids because they can't all play. You need um, to tell Nebraska I, that still. I, I, and I, Minnesota. <laughs> I actually think that the Nebraska's and Wisconsin's and Iowa's and Minnesota's could potentially benefit, especially maybe a Nebraska and Iowa when you're, you're not in as big of a city and you're not competing against pro markets where you might be able to say, you know, tell oh. somebody, listen, if you're one of the four blue chip kids that come in here, 
you are the dominant force within this entire state. Yeah. And you may actually make more money. You're right. Being the number one wide receiver or the number one, the tailback at Iowa, than you might be being the 19th best guy in Ohio state's class. I, I absolutely think that that's true. Um, I would, I would think that a, a school like Mississippi state uh, would benefit from, from that. I would think that maybe some of the more rural pack 12 schools could benefit from that. I've, I've seen some people complain that urban schools are going to have an advantage, but even if you're like going to a place like Houston, we're in a gigantic market. Yeah. There's like 4 million people there, but most of them don't give a shit about the Houston Cougars. <laughs> um, I, I definitely think a big school in a state without pro teams would have a, 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 uh, a better financial argument to make on the recruiting trail. Well, this just makes me think of all the money that potential athletes in the past could have won Matt. So I'm curious to ask you, uh, if this law was always in existence, who would the Mount Rushmore of uh, NIL athletes be all time? You know, that's that's a great question, right? So I, I certainly somebody like Reggie Bush or Johnny Manziel would have made just a gajillion dollars, <laughs> right? I mean, literally, you know, with 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 the money and everything. You know, Reggie Bush playing in a in the Hollywood you know capital of of the world, literally Hollywood. Um, all the commercials that he could have done would have done very well. The, the thing that I would really want to press on people is that. I think a lot of non-football players would make a lot of money. Sabrina Ionescu at Oregon, the women's basketball player, would have had her own shoe. Mm-hmm. You know, her jersey sold out within two hours um, and appeals to an enormous marketplace of consumers that's generally underserved. I think back to the, just the, the excellent women's basketball player you guys had a couple of seasons ago, Megan um, Gustafson. Yeah, led the country in scoring. Um, you know, brought butts into, into seats here to watch a women's basketball team. Yeah. I think she would have made a ton of money, uh, especially in a place like Iowa City. I, I think that there are gymnasts and, and swimmers who would have made a gajillion dollars, um, especially monetizing their, their social media feeds. So, sure, you know, your Trevor Lawrence's and, and your Tua's and your elite college football quarterbacks that are telegenic and, and on successful teams, they're going to make a lot of money. But I think peop- people in a lot of other sports, too, would make a lot of money as well. So like Skylar Diggins after Drake wore her jersey at that concert. Yep, boom, six six figures easily. Especially you know if if they know how to how to you know make a couple of YouTube videos or are, are good with Instagram Live. Picky talks. You bet. Yeah, think, think think talks, I, think, I think that's think what the kids are doing. The the the, the quibbies. Yeah, yeah. That's there's big money on the board. Yeah, we are old. <laughs> i remember when facebook was uh, existed or <laughs> invented i was in college that's how old i am same <laughs> all right let's this is a very i think very frustrating because i think it logically there's it seems it be a pretty easy thing to pass so i'm i don't really have any other follow-up questions on name image likeness stuff let's shift gears to the current pandemic that's keeping every sport from being played currently. Everybody's rushing to be the first on, on being the, being the first back to playing sports. If you had to guess, is there going to be college football in, in 2020? Yeah, this isn't really a, the best radio kind of answer because the truth, (laughs) the truth is I really don't know. If you've gone to my head, I think it's, it's probably more unlikely than likely. My guess is that the, this football season gets moved to the spring. Um, here's what okay, I can tell that's, you. We could have deal with that. At least they're playing. Yeah. I, here's, here's, what, here's what I can tell you. Number one, there is an enormous incentive to play a college football season. Yeah. Every single Power 5 school 
desperately wants to do this. And the biggest reason they want to do it is because they are completely reliant on the television money that comes from, from, from playing. And they use that to fund their enormous payrolls and, and to subsidize all these other sports. You know, Iowa gets what, $56 million a year just from the Big Ten distributions. You have to play football to do that. And, and really, you kind of need to play it with fans in the stands too. That was going to be my follow-up question. Yeah, you is, get, it, is delaying it? Because I think college football specifically yeah. ben, is a huge – in-game attendance and, and donations are, make up a huge part of, of the athletic department's money or revenue sources. So is, does delaying it give them a more incentive to get fans back in the stands? Unquestionably. Like, I think you guys have to understand that even if the unlikely event, in my opinion, we get an all clear to have regular college football as scheduled, fans can attend without restrictions, they're not going to show up at the same way. Right. Even in a place like Ohio State and Alabama, they're not going to get 100,000 people because consumers are simply not going to be uh, ready to do that. You're going to be playing in, in half-filled capacity or 60% capacity. The longer you wait, the more chance you give to enhance consumer confidence that it's safe, um, regardless of what the government tells you. And you want to get as many butts in those seats as possible so you can sell them $9 beers and charge them 40 bucks. Hmm. I mean, so would there be more of a inclination to wait until everybody can play college football? Or if some states are given the all clear ahead of time or will will states conferences whatever do you think there's going to be a push to play it sooner just to get that revenue in the aka are you going to oregon (laughs) that's that's the big question and i think there's going to be enormous political pressure in the southeast to be open in the oh oh, yeah um but it's it's going to be pretty difficult to do if that's if that's not national. One of the tricky things about college football compared to pro sports is nobody's really in charge. Um, nobody's really in charge one because it's governors and university presidents and regents and, and and public safety officials that are really making this decision. It's not athletic directors and it's not coaches and it's not really conference commissioners either. But then there's no unified you know college football voice to help broker those things. My guess is that they would if you got four out of the five power five conferences to have a majority of their schools. I think you would do it. There's some precedence to playing seasons with uh, an abbreviated schedule or with not every team, but if you're missing more than one power conference, I don't think you can. The championship wouldn't have the same validity. I don't, I think broadcasters would push back. I think you'd have to wait. Is, is COVID a fan of the BCS? That's, that's what I'm hearing. COVID, COVID big bowl Alliance fan. <laughs> so Matt, you said possibly moving the season back to spring. What does that do for basketball season? Does that, are they playing at the same time as basketball getting moved back or are they starting still in the winter? What do you think that does uh, for college basketball? That's a really good question too. And of course, a lot of that's going to depend on what happens with the, not just the vaccine, but I think just general treatment. I, I would imagine it would be riskier to have a larger crowd indoors in a basketball arena than it would in an outdoor arena for football. Although, especially Carver Hawkeye that has notoriously <laughs> older, an older fan base sitting front row at Carver Hawkeye. Arena. Yep. Well, well, yeah, I mean, honestly, that's true for most college right. basketball places, period. And you have poor ventilation. Um, and it's going to depend a little bit on TV partners. You know, if we have a world where every single sporting event is all happening at once in January, yeah. that's going to make things a little bit more challenging just financially. I think, I think you could do it. 
Um, and it, that that might be that might mean we have BTN overflow. And, I was going to say we're going to have like nine cool. BTN channels. They already have yeah. like six. Actually, so. have ESPN the Ocho. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean people people will want to do it if if it is safe to play, and that means we have to play every single freaking sport in in February. The broadcasters will figure it out, and the school will figure it out. But you know, as frustrating as it is a lot of that timetable is going to depend on what happens with the federal government and the state government and, and this virus. Um, but the schools are going to want to do it. If our wives don't want to kill us during quarantine, they definitely want to kill us during football <laughs> basketball season. Oh, can you imagine, can you imagine all the sports at once? And we're all watching and just screaming at multiple screens. We got our laptops. We got two television. That would just be insane. My wife actually made the comment, I think last week, the week before, she goes, I can no longer complain when you want to watch sports because all I've been doing is watching Bravo and, and eat with her every single night. Yeah, I, 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 my wife's not a sports fan at all, which I actually love because that means that like, I, at the end of the day, whatever weird internet rabbit hole I've fallen into, like she's there to remind me it, it didn't really matter all that much. But even now, she's like, I, for your sanity and also because I'd like you to have a job again, uh, I, really, <laughs> I really hope you put that <laughs> I think on that note, it's perfect to roll into our final three questions that we have for you. Sure. We're going to start asking all of our guests these. Very first one, we talked about this on our show last week. So our guilty pleasure TV shows that we're watching in quarantine without sports, we want to know what yours is. So it's weird because honestly, I typically watch very little television other, other than live sports. My attention span has been ruined. I'm usually playing video games or reading a book then. But now since I, I can't do as many of those things, uh, I've probably watched every single episode of New Girl, I think, since, since quarantine started. And I'm not guilty about it because it's a funny show. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's the perfect thing to have in the background while you're cooking or while I'm only paying half attention to it because it's a very easy paint-by-number sitcom. But between that and Bob's Burgers, I think that might be the only thing that I've watched. <laughs> you're supporting Jake Johnson, a big-time Chicago Yeah, player. he's from the shy. I, I, absolutely. I am nothing if not a local patriot. Can I throw a follow-up question? The boys don't know about this with the quarantine guilty pleasure, but what is your guilty pleasure snack while watching your guilty pleasure quarantine show? That's more what I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm I'm a big snack guy, so I like to get people's perspectives on their snacks. Guys, I have have not stopped eating. (laughs) Join the club. No, right? Like, maybe this is a good thing. I want my camera on, right? Like, I don't, I don't drink. I don't, I don't do drugs. I don't smoke. And so, like, you know, we, we have to, we all have to kill each other some way, ourselves some way. So that's been through terrible food. And a lot of old Chicago bungalows where I live have um, in-law suites in the basement. So my office is in the basement. That's where, we're, that's where we're talking here. But that means there's a second little kitchen. And that kitchen has a freezer. And that freezer is full of ice cream sandwiches. Nice. Am I having three of them a day when I'm nervous or stressed or trying to finish a newsletter article? It's because I'm my hour, I'm up at weird hours. Yeah. Is that good for me? No. But, um, you know, that way I can eat a whole thing in the basement and maybe my, my, my family can't judge me for and it. And then you can Are just you- hide the wrappers and they won't even know that you ate them. It's perfect. That's, that's exactly it. So no, nobody show this to Taylor, please. Um, now that I'm admitting to... <laughs> <laughs> a lot, a lot of uh, contraband ice cream eating. Just tell me you've triple stacked them at least one time, <laughs> at least once. Yeah. There we go, perfect. At least once. By the way, our champ, the 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 snack guy over there, thinks Gatorade's a snack. By the way, so don't take all this snack. <laughs> Gatorade is a snack, and I'll die on that sword. Gator, Gatorade's a food group. Oh Jesus! See, I, I like Matt already. He can come <laughs> on every week. Yeah, it's a beautiful <laughs> take right there. 
All right, about the second question that we've been asking all of our guests, if you had to make an all-too-early prediction on the next national champion with the BCS, apparently, who would it yeah. be? You know, and this this also sucks because I'd, I'd love to get out on a limb and say, oh, you know, maybe watch out for the Oregon Ducks or, you know, Texas A&M. They got a really easy front-loaded schedule, but, you know, college football is is stupid chalky. And looking at the rosters right now, you you think that all of this uncertainty is going to favor a team that has an experienced roster and that um, already knows exactly what's expected of them. Clemson's just as safe a bet as anybody else. I, I would probably take them. I think Ohio State has the second most talented roster, but uh, we all know that they can't beat Clemson. So I'm, I'm and they have to play Iowa Clemson. again. They, they do. <laughs> so we could put one loss right on there right now. And our, our last question, we'll, we'll keep it Iowa-related. Sure. If you had to describe the Iowa football program in one word, what would it be? I would say consistent. For good or for ill, it's a great you, know exact, you know what you're going to get with Iowa football. And most schools don't, and, and, unless they're playing Greg Schiano and they randomly turn into like the, the, the greatest show on turf for, for a couple of hours. But it, it's mostly a positive thing. The, the, I think I've had this same conversation here with Wisconsin fans that when you've reached a level of consistency for so long, you forget how low the floor can potentially be. Maybe you guys don't remember a time when Iowa football was perennially god awful, um, but that's always possible when you're not when, you, when you're, your recruiting ceiling is is not as high as some of these other programs. So if you have a coaching staff that knows how to evaluate and develop offensive linemen and defensive backs and efficient quarterback play better than than most other coaching staffs, you know you're always going to have a puncher's chance. You know you're probably not going to win the league. But you know you're always oh, going to have a goal. You had He's, to throw that in there, Matt, didn't you? <laughs> I, 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 you know, you were doing so well. I mean, I was doing so well, and you, then I'm a dick. You were but talking about us being in the same sentence as Wisconsin. You were getting us all hyped up, and then you told us we're probably not going to win the league. <laughs> well, probably, probably, probably not right now. But you will uh, either make Ohio State or Michigan fans just excruciatingly angry. And then you can lord it over them for the next year. And that's almost as good as a conference title as far as I'm concerned. A very good sure. point. That, that plus the sixth consecutive year of being Nebraska, it's just going to be – I mean – Keep everybody quiet. Um, I'm so glad that that's happened. I, <laughs> right? Like, us, us too. If there's, if there's one weird development since of Nebraska joining this league and, and of you know, my career as a professional sports writer, it's – how divorced from reality a lot of that beat oh, is. Oh, and God. They're the worst. Is. And you can take that quote of we evaluated our program and we evaluated where Iowa was, and you could just dunk on them forever. And that – listen, they can't take away the memes. The NCAA, they could take away a title. They could take away some of your wins. They can't take away the memes, and you're always going to have that. Like that's – if I was a Nebraska fan, and thank the Lord I'm not, um, <laughs> God, that would – Iowa would just make me infuriated because there's no absolutely no comeback to any of that. See, but they wouldn't because you're just stuck in the 90s and you're just like, we're the greatest program ever. You know, That's all it really is. It is. You know, I, I will say this. And I, I don't know if you guys have caught yourself doing this, but on some level, I feel like you when, when you remember when you first come of age as a college football fan. So for me, that was around the late 90s. In the back of your, in the back of your mind, you still think some of the teams that were good then should be on some level good. When I turn on the TV and like I, I see someone beat the crap out of Syracuse in the back of my mind, I think, ooh, ooh, beat the crap out of Syracuse. Like, 
obviously they haven't really been anything for 10 years, but in 98, 99, that meant something. Beating Virginia Tech meant something. Beating Nebraska meant something. The I U, suspect. Miami now, they're like in, in a joke watching Miami I, play football. You're, you're absolutely right. And we, we remember Miami having maybe the most talented football team ever. Um, I think a lot of sports writers are like that too with Nebraska because, you know, the, the mid, or mid to early 90s, that was a, form, a formative time for them. And it's hard to turn off that, you know, what you, what you remember in the back of your mind. I think BYU is another good example. BYU has mostly been butt for a decade. But at, but in the late '90s and, and early 2000s, they were. That's talented. a curse word, Provo. <laughs> this, is, this is why I'm not allowed on the air in Provo anymore. Like the, their SEC regulations, much more strict. If mine. you had a soda today, too, you're also out. Oh man, I, I, yeah, I'm I'm a very polarizing figure in Mormon Twitter. Um, <laughs> my dumb fan brain still thinks we play the, yeah. the, the notorious powers. That's just not going to work out. <laughs> Yeah, that's that that that's how it is. So you can you you've seen the spreadsheets, you intellectually know who's good and who isn't, but that that stuff in the back of your mind it, it takes a long time to die. Absolutely. All right, Matt, thank you so much for hopping on talking a little uh, college football, I guess ancillary college football stuff, not without really much to talk about. You guys can make sure you're subscribing to the Extra Points newsletter. Follow Matt Brown on Twitter at Matt Brown EP. Uh, Matt, anything else you want to uh, hype before we uh, let you go? Yeah, I, I appreciate all of that. Um, you can subscribe to Extra Points for free, and you get two emails a week. Or you can uh, do a paid subscription, and then you get four, uh, including a bonus podcast. I'm recording, a really, a, I think, a really interesting um, college football history podcast with a professor tomorrow. Uh, that is 7 bucks a month or 70 bucks a year. Um, and, uh, you can also buy my book. I wrote a book a couple years ago called what if a closer look at college football's great questions. So if you are somebody that loves to look at failed conference realignment plans in the 1950s, or uh, trying to imagine a big 10 where Michigan got kicked out and never rejoined because they did get kicked out. Um, I think you enjoyed this book. You might learn a lot about old timey college football history. And if there was ever a time to read up on what ifs, it's right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no excuse. You're in your home in quarantine, buy Matt's book and read it. I, I listen, you buy my book, I get like $5. And uh, since I'm probably not going to get a real job uh, for a couple of months, every every little bit helps. So if, you, if you're into that college football esoterica, I think you might enjoy that book. And I think you might enjoy Extra Points. I'm an Extra Points subscriber. I love it. It is a great way to to uh, wake up to my inbox when it, when it pops in there. So I highly recommend it. Matt, thank you again for joining us. And uh, you guys can follow him on Twitter again at Matt Brown EP. Uh, Thanks, Matt. Yeah, no problem. It's been a pleasure, fellas. Thanks, Thanks Matt. Matt. You bet. Trick or treat, Iowa City. <laughs> if you don't love it, leave it. USA, number one.